Later in Philippians, Paul talks about the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then I want to read you what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, finally. Do you know what it means when a preacher says finally? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Finally, brothers and sisters, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And he's not wrapping up a letter, by the way, that he wrote to the Philippian church from a prison cell. He's wrapping up a part of the letter where he's telling them how it is that they stand firm, how it is that they win the battles that they face against opposition. And he's actually giving them in this next section one of the greatest keys that they'll ever receive to actually winning the battles in their life. So he says, Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. He says, think about such things. And then he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And that's, by the way, kind of an inversion of verse 7 because verse 7 says the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will be with you. And then verse, the next one, verse 9 says the God of peace. So in other words, watch this. I don't just have the peace of God. I have the God of peace with me. And that's a big deal. In other words, I don't just have access to his resources. I have his very presence with me. And that's a big deal. And so I want to spend some time connecting that scripture that I just read now for a few minutes to another scripture. And um, we'll see if we can make them work together, even though they seem to be, be very different. I think it'll speak to many of you. So where Paul says, finally... In Philippians 4.8, and he starts listing off all these things, true, whatever's noble, right. He's just listing stuff almost in a sonnet in the beautiful poetic way that he had where he's using all of these virtues that are associated or related to God and God's word. And when he says, think about such things, you know, that's the English translation we get. But the more literal translation from the original Greek language is actually make this a habit of thought. Don't just think about them occasionally, but make it a habit of thought where you almost become obsessed about it. And so this passage really kind of reads like a menu of all the good things of God, and he's giving them all these things. Earlier in Philippians, most of you know, Paul says, hey, be anxious for nothing. There's nothing that should make you anxious, and, and, and don't let these things consume you, these things in life. But then he's talking about things not from God when he says that. But then he's saying now, there are some things that you need to be absolutely consumed and obsessed with. And these are the types of things. And so today's message is about how do we, how do we win this battle? And, and really, guys, it's dependent on what you focus on. It's largely dependent on what you focus on. So there's two things, for example, that we don't often say are, are, are common. We think they're opposite, fear and failure, right? We think that fear and failure are opposite, but they're actually more common than you think and that they're both powered by focus. In other words, if you have fear in your life, it's because you're focusing on certain things. That's where that comes from, and they're the wrong things. If you have faith in your life, it's because you're focusing on certain things, and those are the right things. So if you're taking notes, you could say it like this. When we focus on the wrong things, fear is the result. But when you focus on the right things, faith is actually the result. Because Paul says, whatever things fall into this list that he just gave us, And and it's not so much a checklist, but it's this list of examples of the types of things that we should consume our mind with. And when you do that, when you dwell on that, it changes everything. And, you know, a lot of us, 
we get in trouble in our walk with God because we focus on what we can't do. Right? Like the story last week. You know, you can have any tree in the garden. You can literally eat anything you want in this whole place. It's all yours except this one thing. Don't touch it. And what's the one thing we immediately go to every time? The one thing that we can't touch. He's given us all of this. And he says it's all at our disposal, but there's this one thing, and that's often the thing that we gravitate toward. How many dieters do we have in the house? Like chronic dieters, frustrated dieters, <laughs> was a dieter in January, but have since succumbed because you're surrounded in this world by food. <laughs> I'm not really a dieter, but um, I would tell you if we're in a conversation that I, I do kind of consume a low-carb lifestyle. Um, and I thank God for things like paleo and the caveman trend because um, whatever you want to call it, I had no idea that I could eat all the bacon my heart desires and still stay pretty fit. I had no idea. And, and, and so can we just give God thanks for paleo? Because, see, when I found out, here's the point, that I didn't have to so much watch how much I eat as long as I watch what I eat um, of certain things. That changed everything for me. Because like in a healthy eating plan, for me, if I have to count things and do math, that's just not going to happen. But what I want to know is what am I allowed to have unlimited amounts of anytime I want? Like, can I eat meat till it comes out of my ears? That's what I want to know. And that's going to be a healthy lifestyle for me. Um, so in the same way, Paul is saying here, I want to give you some examples of some stuff that you can consume in your mind and obsess about in your mind and think about in unlimited quantities. There's, this is a list of things that you can consume in unlimited amounts. So he says, whatever is true. These are some examples. Whatever is noble. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, I'm like listing things about my wife. <laughs> yeah, buddy, work in the sermon. That makes me happier at home. And so whatever is admirable, focus on, he says, such things. Because again, faith is the byproduct of what you focus on. And so stop praying to God to give you faith. And instead, realize that God's more often looking at you and saying, you'll have faith when you actually start to improve your focus and put it on the right things. And so Paul's talking to a Philippian church here, remember, that is under persecution. And they had all these political pressures, and they had uh, these personal issues going on and philosophical questions. And Paul says, guys, you're complicating this a little bit. Don't make it so complicated. There's a simple solution here that most of you don't apply, and I'm going to tell you what it is. And it's simply focus on these types of things. Focus on the right things. Keep those in your mind. If I was going to really simplify it for you or spiritualize it, I would say, he's saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because we take them off so often, and then that's when we start to sink. And it's amazing how, how simple this concept really seems when we look at the things that make us afraid or the things that get us in trouble or the things that bring us down or the things that hold us back. It's amazing when you look at this how much it changes. And I don't mean to talk to you like you're a child, but keep your eyes on Jesus is one of the most important things I can say to you. Because we divert that so often and then we wonder why things went haywire. And when you take your mind off of him and your eyes off his word and you stop concentrating on the things that he has spoken, that's when you start to sink. And so it's Paul's basically saying, look, not just once in a while, but as a habit of thought, consistently every day think about such things as these so now i want to go over to another passage and we're going to try to connect these this is second corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 and i'm going to show you something else that paul wrote now when i first pull this out of the drawer and show you some of you are going to be like um those two don't go together those passages don't like some of you say to your husbands like those don't go together and 
it's not true. You just got to know how to rock it. So I want to show you in 2 Corinthians 10, and I'm going to put these things together, and, and it's going to help you. So where Paul is talking about the battles that we all face, and he's talking about how we have the ability to demolish strongholds in our lives and to break down walls, and we have these weapons that are invisible, not visible. They're not the world's weapons that we fight with. And then he says how we win these battles, though, in verse 5. So that's what we're going to key in on. So before I read it, if you have thoughts that torment you, like thoughts of insecurity, thoughts of regret, thoughts of shame and guilt, thoughts of ridicule, thoughts of your past that you just can't seem to shake, this is the verse that you need to memorize and put into practice because it's going to change your life. Okay? It will, it will obliterate some of the opponents that you've been losing to constantly because this really is the answer. Because in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says this. He says, we demolish arguments. What's that? That's anything that contradicts what God says. Anything that goes against what he says, that's the kind of argument we're talking about here. So when God says one thing, but you feel another, you have to demolish that because he's right. When God promises one thing, but a circumstance in your life seems to be happening a different way, you have to demolish that argument because what he says comes true. It could just be that you're not doing the precursor that he said to do before the promise comes. And we'll get into that later. But not just arguments. He says we demolish arguments and every pretension, you see it, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's the key. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Okay, back to Philippians. You care if we jump around a little bit? You don't even have to flip. We'll do it up here for you. This is like cracking the crab legs, dipping it in butter and putting it in your mouth for you. It's really easy, okay? So Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Focus on, calculate, reckon, permeate on such things. Let me ask you a question before we dig further. What is holding you back from being what God has called you to be? What is holding you back from being who God's called you to be? What's holding you back from doing the things that God has called you to do, from accomplishing the things he wants you to do, from changing the parts of you that he wants to change? What is holding you back from that? And if I ask you that question and you were to answer honestly, most of you would start listing things like events, people, circumstances in your life, things that have happened, financial troubles, um, health conditions, all these different things, and you'd say those are the things that are holding you back. And this is going to be hard to swallow a little bit, but what I want to share with you right now is that it's not really the things that you're facing in life that are holding you back. It's the way you think about the things that are holding you back. And the way that I know that is because we see it all the time. There could be somebody in this very room who's facing a thing or a type of person or a circumstance or a condition or whatever it is. And then there's somebody else in the same room who has the exact same thing happening in their life, except they're walking through it with strength and faith and hope and victory. But for whatever reason, you're walking through it in weakness and struggling and not being able to overcome it. But it's the exact same thing. So that means it's not always about the thing, it's often about the way that you think about the thing. And what Paul is talking about in this passage is how powerful our thoughts are and how they really do truly steer the direction of our lives. And so Paul says if you'll think about the right things, you could go through some hard stuff, but you'll still be standing. If you think about the right things, you could struggle, but you'll still be standing at the end of it. 
And so here it is, though. Most of us, as much as we should, we never actually stop to think about the things we're thinking about. And we have to. Because that's what's steering the direction of our life into the future. So some of us need to stop, step back, and say, what are the things that I spend my time thinking about? What invades my mind? What do I obsess about in my brain? And actually adjust that because you want to get to the point where your life is characterized by faith and standing firm and where your kids look at you and say, yeah, he loves God, she loves God. I want to be like that. I want some of that. And you want to make a difference in the world. If you want to stand firm, you have to learn to think about such things. What things? Whatever's noble, pure, lovely. You've got to think about and pick the things that bring praise to God. You have to think about and pick the things that, that equip you and empower you and inspire you to live for Jesus. You have to pick those things out and the things that give you a perspective of gratitude instead of a down perspective. You've got to pick those things out and think about such things. We need to learn how to hold on to those thoughts, though. Not just let them go, come and go, but hold on to them. Because it's important that those thoughts actually get to the point where we're holding on to them instead of them holding on to us, you know? And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, if you look up around you, it doesn't matter who you are. You've actually got all these things that are worth giving God praise for. Whoever you are, wherever you are, there's all kinds of reasons for you to remember the faithfulness of God. There's all kinds of things that, that God put in your path that speak to his purpose for you and speak to, to his potential that he put in you and that point to how much he loves you. And no, life's not perfect, but you can still look up and think about those things. And so we need to learn how to think those thoughts and hold on to them and keep thinking them. So when you get a thought that brings life, hold on to it. Don't just let it slip, slip by. When you get a thought of, I can do it. When you get a thought of, I matter to God. When you get a thought of, He loves me. Hold on to those thoughts. Don't just let them come and go. Hold on to the true thoughts. That's kind of how he starts it, right? He says, whatever is true. But did you know that you can have something that's a fact and something that's true, and those are actually different things? Everything that's a fact is not true. Let me explain that. When Jesus was hung on the cross, in the world's eyes, that was a fact, right? He was hung on the cross. And it was, he was. Fact, Jesus died on that cross. But the truth is that he was the resurrection the whole time. So it might be a fact that you're feeling a little crucified on Friday. It might be a fact that nobody's listening to you on Saturday and they're silent. But the truth is, if you're a believer in Christ, there's resurrection power on Sunday. When Paul was writing from that prison cell, it was a fact that he was writing from that prison cell. But he said, you know what? It's a fact that I'm in this prison cell, but it's truth that I'm not a prisoner of the Roman government. I'm a prisoner of hope, was his words. And he had learned to hold on to the hope tightly and not let it go, even when he's in what seems like a hopeless situation. He held on to it. By the way, you can't always choose the thoughts that come in your mind, right? Can we admit that? You don't always have control over what thoughts come to your mind. Like, guys, sometimes I have crazy thoughts. Like, no, I don't mean like thoughts like, I forgot the milk, I need to go back to the grocery store. I mean crazy thoughts. Like, if I put them up on the screen, some of you would find another church. And you have them too. Don't look at me all holy. You're a liar if you don't. <laughs> Let's not lie in church. And I thought it was just me a while back, so I, I asked my wife, I said, Amy, do you ever have like crazy thoughts? And she starts listing all these things, and I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. That, 
That's not what I'm talking about. They weren't that crazy. And I explained it to her, and then she said, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes, like, I think about what it would be like to run over certain people with the stroller. And I'm like, yes, that. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's the type of thought. Exactly what I'm talking about. You don't always have control over it. And so, so, so watch this. 2 Corinthians 10.5, I'm going to put them together now. We demolish arguments and every pretension, so whatever contradicts the words God has spoken, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's what it says. Here's the problem. Aren't we always told about our crazy thoughts to just let it go? How many have been told that? I'm told that all the time. Hey, just let that go. That's not helping you. Let it go. That's what, that's what everybody tells you about your thoughts. Just, let, just relax. My mind's always going. I can't relax, in case you haven't noticed. So I can't just let it go. It doesn't work that way. And, and that's what we're told to do with thoughts, though. Those thoughts, like in 2 Corinthians 10.5, those tormenting thoughts, those terrorizing thoughts. But you know what? It's one thing, again, to hold on to a thought in your mind. It's a completely other thing to let a thought hold on to you and give it all the power. And yet that's what we do all the time. And so what's really holding you back in life is not the thoughts that you're thinking, it's that they have a hold on you instead of you holding on to them. And so, for example, just, just as an example, some of you have a fear of failure. Can we admit that? Some of you have a fear of failure. And the reason that you have a constant fear of failure is because you have these moments in your past where you felt like you failed. But another reason that you have a fear of failure is because there's this thought process in your brain that was put there by the world and not what God says, but by what the world says, which is fear is actually, or failure is actually the opposite of success. So you want to be successful, you don't want to fail because failure is the opposite of success. But here's what I learned, and this set me free. Failure is not the opposite of success. Unfaithfulness is the opposite of success. Because you can be completely faithful to everything God says for a period of time and still have a failure, right? There can still be something that happens there, but what, we, what we've learned is God is the master at taking even failures and turning them into something good for his purpose. That's what he does. But we have to learn how to do that. The opposite of success is not failure. The opposite is unfaithfulness. So if you're faithful to God and what he's called you to do, even your failure will end up working for your good. That's the story of this church, by the way. Failure after failure after failure, but there was faithfulness, and God took it and turned it into something beautiful. And I could go on and on about that, but I don't have time. And you know, I, I hate to keep talking about Jesus in church, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. In, uh, in the world's eyes, in the world's eyes, just in the world's eyes, didn't Jesus kind of fail when they nailed him to the cross? Because he was supposed to be the savior, the coming king that rode in on a stallion and conquered the, the everything, right? He was their, their coming savior, the Messiah. He was supposed to come with a sword. So when they're expecting that, this savior, and they think it's him, and then he's hung on a cross, doesn't that appear to be a failure? And he dies there? Doesn't that in the world's eyes look like a failure when everybody that knew him starts denying him and walking away? But see, what may have looked to the world in that moment like one of the greatest failures in history, he converted it to one of the greatest victories that the world will ever know. The single greatest victory. That's what he did. And so, for everybody with the fear of failure, here's what I'm trying to say. 
if that fear has a hold on you and you let it in and you let it terrorize you, I want you to know that the thing for you to be afraid of in life is not to look stupid for trying and failing, but to be stupid for actually caring what anybody else thinks about what you do or what you don't do and only care about pleasing the one who matters. We're so afraid all the time, some of us. It's like stuff just, stuff just has a hold on us and thoughts hold us down like they, like they literally hold us under. We feel them when they come. And, and there's such a heavy weight, fear of commitment. Some people have this huge fear of commitment because the last time you committed to somebody, they weren't committed to you. And whether it was a person or a church or this or that that burned you or hurt you, now you're afraid to commit to anything because you don't want to go through that again. But that fear of commitment is actually a lie from the enemy because it's actually keeping you from actually committing to something that could be the best thing that ever came your way. But we pull away because that fear has a hold on you. It's become a habit of thought and it starts to control your destiny. And so what Philippians 4, 8 describes for good, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 describes in reverse. So he says there's thoughts that come from God, the things that are true and pure and, 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 and right. Those are the things that you need to think about constantly and focus on. You've got to listen to that. You've got to put your antennas up and focus in on that for the rest of your life because you're going to ride those thoughts into your future. But then he says there's the 2 Corinthians 10, 5 thoughts as well, the arguments, the pretensions, the failures, the fears, the anxieties. And here's what Paul says. He says, every argument, every pretension that sets us up against the knowledge of God, he says to let it go. No, that's not what he says. But that's what we're told by everybody else. Let that thought go. Hey, just let that go. Something funny about letting bad thoughts go. I don't know about you, but mine boomerang. I got to like duck because they come right back and sometimes they bring 10 friends with them. Let it go. All my life, I let it go, let it go. It just comes back. Paul says, you know what? I didn't actually say that, so let's listen to what I said. Let's try something different because that's not really working. He said, instead of letting it go, he says, take it captive. That's different from letting it go. Take it captive. And the imagery he's using here, do you care? It's that those thoughts are like a prisoner of war. So those thoughts that are sent to terrorize your mind, he's saying treat them like a prisoner of war and take them captive. In other words, you have to learn how to interrogate your mind. Let me give you a little lesson. I've never been to a formal interrogation, but back in the day I did watch every single episode of 24, so I feel qualified to speak on the subject. <laughs> and what you would see when you watch that show is they would catch the terrorist, and then they bring the terrorist into the interrogation room, and they sit him down, and Jack Bauer's there, and uh, they sit him down and they want to know two things. The first question is, where did you come from? I need to know where you came from. And some of you need to sit some of the thoughts down that you've been having and some of the imaginations you're indulging in and ask the question, where did you come from? I thought about calling this sermon, what in hell are you thinking? Because you know what? Some of you, the thoughts that you're letting invade your mind, that's exactly where they come from, from the pit of hell. It's a plot, it's a ploy, it's a scam, it's a trick to get you off the path that God has for you because you somehow think it's better even though God's word says otherwise. And it's a terrorist threat that's been sent to your mind by the enemy to destroy you. That's what those thoughts are. And you need to sit some of that stuff down and say, wait a minute, I got a list here in Philippians 4.8 of all the stuff that's supposed to get in here and you don't fit the bill, so get out. You don't belong here. You look kind of suspicious, thought. You look kind of suspicious, imagination. 
Some of you need to set up a ch security checkpoint at the gate of your mind and say, hey, empty your pockets, take off your belt, take off your shoes, show me what you got because you're not getting on this plane until I check you because this plane's leading me into my future. Let's not find out I shouldn't let you on the plane when I crash. Let's find out before I let you on the plane. See, it's not just the good thoughts that we hang on to, like Paul says. We also, we, you know, we do hold on to the good thoughts. We let those lead us into the future, Philippians 4.8. But what do you do with those other thoughts? What do you do with the, the, the other thoughts? Because, see, they've been hanging on to you, and so now it's time to take hold, guys, of that which has been holding on to you and say, I have the power here because God grants you that. And so fear comes at you and panic and anxiety and worry and and. And it's like, let it go, let it go, I'm letting it go, I'm letting it go. It ain't going, it ain't going, it's, it's still here. Guess what, though? I have authority over this stuff. How do you know I have authority? You have authority because it says, take it captive. You don't have the authority to take something captive if you don't have a badge. This is my badge. Whatever's in here is true. You can't take one piece without the other. This is my badge. And so, I got a badge. Say it, I got a badge. And when you flash your badge, you're not saying I'm stronger than you. You're saying I represent someone who's stronger than you and you don't belong here. So sit down, thought. I got to find out where you came from. So you find out where it came from. And the second question, you have to ask it, where are you going? Where's it going? See, because if you catch a terrorist, you can get clues about the mission when you interrogate him. And so here's what you do. You need to figure out, why am I so afraid of whatever this fear is? Why am I so afraid of this? You need to figure out, why am I so afraid of whatever I'm fearing? Write this down if you're taking notes. You can let your thoughts lead you to destruction, or you can let them lead you into destiny. And that's your choice. It says, take it captive. Just got to prove a point here. All right. Can I borrow you? I won't embarrass you. Come on. He's like, me? <laughs> You're awesome. You're an actor. You'll be fine. All right. So it says take it captive, right? Here, turn around. So this is my thought. Okay, go ahead, walk. This is how most of us live our life. Like, we're just run by our thoughts. He's just leading us around. It's like, no, it needs to be the other way around. Paul says, no, you tell it where to go. I'm taking you this way, and then I'm taking you this way, and then we're going over here, and it's like, I'm bigger than you. I have the authority in this relationship. I have the power to tell you where we're going to go. But for whatever reason, thanks, give him a hand. We just let these little thoughts lead us wherever they're going to lead us into our future instead of saying, you know, no, you have authority over those. You have that authority. And so I think what God wants to say to many of us today is today needs to be the day that you take hold of something that's had a hold of you and say enough is enough. You've had a hold of me for far too long. And so what I want to let you know is that if you'll grab on by faith, to the promises that God has spoken to you, it's not supposed to be leading you. You're supposed to be leading it. Take control of your mind. It's mind control. So here comes the fear. I want to know, where did you come from? Where are you trying to go? Who sent you, by the way? Because it wasn't God. It doesn't line up. It contradicts. Here, here's an example, guys. I'm getting personal now. I have a fear when I'm in this very room up here of awkward silence. <laughs> Seriously. I hate it. Like, it's just, it scares me. It scares me. By the way, you have permission, as long as you're not ridiculous, to talk back to the pastor a little bit. 
while you're in here, it's okay. Um, you can pull stuff out of the preacher sometimes by giving a grunt or responding in some way that you can't get otherwise. Um, no, really, like when somebody cooks you a delicious meal, do you just sit there and eat it? Like guys, yeah, like guys, when, you, when your wife makes you a delicious meal, do you sit there and eat it or you do, go, do you go, mmm, because otherwise she's going to close down the kitchen? <laughs> and you don't want that. So, you know, you can make some noises while you chew. Mmm, girl, you know? And, <laughs> and so, and if you know me well, I can't keep quiet when I'm eating. My wife's cooking. But, um, you know, you can, you, so you can respond and engage, or you can sit there cross-eyed. So, so here's the thing, though. What I mean is you got to be willing sometimes to help the pastor out in the kitchen, too, because if I'm saying something that hits home or it's feeding you in some way and you're that kind of person, I'm just giving you permission. You can go. You don't even have to open your mouth to go, mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> but I'm scared of silence. I, I don't like to sit alone in silence. Um, I don't like to sit in my office alone in silence. Um, and so, so here's the thing, knowing that I have that fear, don't you think it's interesting that God has called me to a profession where I have to spend a big chunk of hours every week alone in my office preparing and studying? I find that interesting. And see, the thing that I'm scared of is the very place where when I sit in it, I get the stuff that I'm born to give to you. And so when I used to sit there and start working on a sermon in my office, I'd do anything I could to get out or bring other staff in. Or I, I, I hate it. I hate sitting alone. I don't like sitting alone in silence. And I, it would almost send me into a panic, and I'd do anything to get out of working on it. But once I learned to say, hey, wait a minute, if the devil doesn't want me to deliver this or get this done in silence, in focus, so bad that he's given me this little panic attack, then it must be something so powerful and so important for somebody that's walking in here this weekend that I have to finish it. And so sometimes you have to flip your thoughts around and make them obedient to Christ by saying, you know what, maybe the very thing that brings me fear is the very thing that points to my future. Because maybe it's the, the reason I'm afraid of it is it's the thing that the devil certainly doesn't want me to do. So it's like, devil, you just tipped me off to your assignment. Did you know there's a such thing as a terrorist thought? It's a thought dispatched to your mind by an enemy to steal, kill, and destroy anything in you that matters to the heart of God. So you've got to take them captive, you know? And so where did you come from? Where are you going? Joshua. He's standing on the edge of the promised land. Imagine you're him. Your leader Moses has just died, who led you through all that. And there's millions of Israelites looking to you for leadership because you're now supposed to enter the land that God promised you to occupy. And so God meets you in the locker room to do a pep talk before you go into battle. And he starts talking about courage in the face of your enemies and courage as you face opposition that you're going to face for sure. And then he says, have I not commanded you? He says, hey, Joshua, I have orders from headquarters. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So then you might say, well, that sounds great, but how do you do that? Go back to verse 8. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it. In other words, meditate on it. Get it down in there. Don't just listen to it or read it once a week. No wonder you're getting your butt spiritually kicked all the time if you're not meditating on it. He says, day and night. Meditate on it, day and night. Hold on to it, guys. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. You're crying yourself to sleep some nights, but hold on to the hope. You're going through something difficult, but hold on to the faith tightly meditate on it day in and day out 
He says, so that you may be careful and do everything written in it. I need to point one more thing out. Paul said, think about such things in verse 8. But then in verse 9, he says, whatever you saw or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And when I saw that, I wondered if it's a coincidence that that's verse 9 in Philippians and then verse 9 in Joshua says, and the Lord your God will be with you. It says the same thing. So Paul's basically saying, you know what? Hey, it's great that you have God with you, but I got one better for you. We have the Holy Spirit now. He's in me. He's actually in me. He's not with me. He's in me. So whom shall I fear? If God is for me, who shall be against me? He's with me. He's in me. He's for me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what it says about us. The cross already won the war. Now there's some thoughts to hold on to. I'm saved. I'm healed. The battle's already been won. I'm restored. He's crowned me with love and compassion. And God says, Joshua, Joshua, you can have the promise if you can hold on to it. Because there's an enemy. And there's opposition. And there's battles coming your way. You can have the promise. But it's your job to hold on to it. You need peace, guys? You can have it if you can hold on to it. You need restoration? You can have it if you can hold on to it. Sometimes we feel like God took it away from us. No, you let it go. You need a clear conscience? You can have it. He says you're forgiven, but you've got to hold on to that thought. Hold on to the truth, the true statements of God, the true thoughts. Can I borrow you two? <laughs> I won't embarrass you. There's only like 200 people here. Just go ahead and stand right here. I need to borrow. Jared, come on up here. You're perfect. All right. So you go ahead and stand right here. Yeah, you're good here. All right. All right. So would you do me a favor? Would you just hold her? Just hold her. Okay, cool. Just keep, keep it PG because <laughs> we did this at the service last night, and the couple started, like, catching up from their date night or something. So <laughs> we had to censor it. So... Some of you guys are like, I'm coming to Saturday from now on. But um, <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Desiree, you are Philippians 4.8, okay? You are everything that is true and right and pure and, and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, okay? So hold her with two arms. All right. Jared, you are 2 Corinthians 10.5. You are every argument, pretension, anxiety, fear, <laughs> failure. <laughs> Just for a minute, then you can go back to being awesome. Um, let me ask you a question, Justin. Why in the world would you let go of that to hold on to that? <laughs> I mean, you see how ridiculous that would be, right? <laughs> like, you're not even tempted. You shouldn't be. <laughs> so, thanks for being a good sport. <laughs> thanks, guys. But we do this all the time. That's the point. We have this available to us, the Philippians 4.8 stuff, to be obsessed with, consumed by, to think about such things, to walk in those ways, to do these things, to follow this way. And then he says, then there's this thing that completely contradicts everything I say. 
And so many of us let go of that to embrace this. And we play kissy face with this. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) So now I want to ask you, because we all do it, why would you let go of that to hold on to that? I'll just leave you with that. Come up here, band. So the question is, what promise do you need to remember today? Because this is full of them. What perspective do you need to hold on to today? What type of thinking and thought do you need to hold on to today? What potential and what power do you need to get deep down inside you today? Those are the things to focus on. Those are the things to reckon with. Those are the things to let permeate your being. Hold on to whatever's true. 